Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and I'm sitting here with Anna Tajinsky, Alex Bell and special guest Ed Brooke Hitching. Once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favourite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go, starting with you, Ed. In 1875, the British Navy erased 123 islands from their charts because they didn't exist. <laughs> the British Navy didn't exist or the islands? Yeah, didn't exist. I knew you were going <laughs> to do that. Um, no, it's, it's Phantom Islands were a huge problem when we were sorting out our charts. Um, the, they were just, the maps were just cluttered with these things and mainly caused by human error. Um, especially in a time before we could measure longitude, you would estimate your position with uh, dead reckoning. And uh, because of that, you had huge amounts of uh, wildly inaccurate uh, coordinates that would be fed back to cartographers. Uh, painted on maps and presented as fact. So to be fair to them, they were often real islands. They just weren't anywhere near the places where they were told that they were. To what extent is an island in a different place before it becomes a different island? (laughs) (laughs) I'll give them a hundred miles leeway in any direction. That is unbelievably (laughs) generous. They're doing their job half right as well. You're giving them too much. You've got to be loose with these poor chaps. They didn't have longitude. Okay. (laughs) Were there sort of mirages and things that meant people think they'd seen an island and they hadn't? Yeah, there's, there's a whole load of crazy natural phenomena presumably still out there waiting for you to think <laughs> that you have, are seeing land when you're not. I mean, we're talking uh, icebergs, sometimes covered in uh, in sort of dirt that can disguise them as an island, uh, <laughs> surrounded did, by sea. Did somebody do that? Did somebody go to an iceberg? Did put, like, put like a the palm tree biggest on it prank like, of all time. <laughs> America. Um, <laughs> the whole thing is just made up. Which is all a massive <laughs> iceberg. But there's also things like low-hanging clouds, which... Doesn't sound like you would uh, mistake for solid land, but Fluff in the distance, island, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fluffiest island in the whole South Pacific. Do, is it still happening? Do we ever get? Yes, there's one in 2012 that got discovered. Sandy Island got yeah. undiscovered. Yeah, it, where is oh, it? Yeah. It's in, the in New Caledonia, yeah, in the eastern the Coral Sea. Yeah, yeah the northeast coast of Australia. Oh, so it was it was undiscovered then? Yeah, so everyone thought it was there, and then eventually someone went there, and there was nothing there. Wow, it had been on maps for a hundred years. And it was discovered to be fake seven years after you'd launched Google Maps. Yeah. So you it could, to have time, find it on Google Maps. And you still can, but there's a little annotation saying it's not Does really not there. exist. Yeah. Please refresh your browser. Imagine <laughs> how embarrassing if you lived there and you found out it wasn't real. <laughs> you feel like such an idiot. Do you think some people do still try to build houses though? You know, like if you go on a walk and you are insisting that you're following a footpath, but you've obviously lost it, <laughs> but you just keep hacking through the undergrowth. Do you think there are people yeah. who are putting brick upon brick on, on, on a cl- on a on a cloud? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a radio DJ in the '60s who claimed to have broadcast a radio show from a, a reef called the Mar- Maria Theresa Reef that no one has ever been able to find. And he swear, he swore to his friends that he was there and the water was lapping up to his knees and his deck chair was floating away. It, maybe he just had a sound effect CD and he was like, oh, the water's <laughs> yes, really close. Yeah. He was in his mum's basement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, three years ago, Pakistan got a new island, completely new island. Uh, they, they had an earthquake in the country because they're quite they're a couple of um, tectonic plates uh, mm. uh, right up against each other there, hence um, the, the Himalayas. 
Anyway, after this earthquake, it disturbed a pocket of pressurized gas. And as a result, this entire section of the seabed rose up to the surface and <laughs> um, bobbed around for a bit and until the, the gas underneath it was going to sort of collapse or get pressurized. And then it sank again. But it was, wow. it was so unattractive as an island. It was just mud and silt and it was covered in dead fish, <laughs> which had not realized what was happening. To, I mean, it, it's <laughs> not the sign of mystical land appearing out of the sea yeah, that we all dream of. It was much of a stir. No wonder it sank. Everyone was so horrible to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think if I were a fish, I would manage to swim into the water. I mean, how quickly did this island pop up out of it? What if you're a flatfish and you're meant to be on this surface? You might not notice as it was rising. Yeah, I see. Yeah. This guy's getting scarily close. It's kind of like the fish's version of a tsunami. Yes. Do you know that there's no map containing the phrase "here be dragons," but there are two uh, globes, ancient globes, which do have the phrase "here be dragons," or they have the Latin because they were classy back then, which is "hic sunt dracones," uh, and one of them is from 1510, uh, and it's one of the first ever European globes, and one of them's from 1504, and it's from ostrich eggs. It's that's what they made it out of. Take two ostrich eggs, cut them in half, glue them together. Draw on globe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do it's we think sweet. one day the sea will recede to reveal that there are, in fact, dragons there? Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be? Well, you just get an island floating out with a load of dragons flopping around like fish. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, a lot of these monsters, they sort of, they're painted on for stylistic flourishes, and sometimes there's just not a lot of information. You've got to fill the blanks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's called um, horror vacui. You know, this, this a cartographer's, uh, they cannot ignore blank spaces. They have to fill it in with something. But um, but there's one particular monster you sometimes see drawn on on maps of South America in the Patagonian region, and it's a giant, a giant couple, and it usually says a regium gigantum region of the giants. The weird thing is that wasn't just um, a, a stylistic flourish. There, it got to the point in 18th century London where they really believed there was a race of eight-foot giants that stalked the landscape wow. in Patagonia, and to the extent that I think Dr. Matthew Matey. Secretary of the British Royal Society <laughs> sent a letter to the French Academy of Sciences saying the existence of giants here is confirmed. Wow. Yeah. And when they printed their journal, it, it came with a, a, a frontispiece illustration of the, uh, one of the sailors. And we're talking British sailors at that time were about five foot five. Mm -hmm. One of the sailors giving them a biscuit. It's kind of peace <laughs> offering. <laughs> And so it was a massive bestseller. People oh, wanted wow. to see them. Maybe they yeah. only viewed them from a distance, and it was just that that area had slightly smaller trees. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, they, they reckon that it was a, a native tribe that no longer exists, of maybe six-foot-tall men, that still, to a very short okay. Englishman, yeah, would yeah. look terrifying. Wow. Oh, there's still an element of exaggeration going on oh, there, sure. isn't there? When <laughs> a sure. six-foot-tall man morphs into a here-be-giants type. Yeah. They had six-foot-tall people. Wasn't Washington or Lincoln six foot? Uh, Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln I think, was, was six tall, foot four. I think that's with the hat, though. Uh, no, I think, yeah, I think he was even bigger with the hat. Really? With the hat, he was about seven feet tall. Wow. Yeah. Um, they have a full, uh, fully functional audio animatronic robot of him in Disneyland. He fully out, is, it fully, is it fully, fully functional? functional? Yeah, does it, fully functional. Does it emancipate <laughs> slaves? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it? yeah. No, it just stands up and makes a speech. It's supposed to be exactly like him. They have all the presidents. They have a whole hall for every single president of the United States, and they all no. get up and talk and make speeches. It's it, you watch a video on YouTube, it's pretty weird and cool, and it's Wh very patriotic. Where, where is this? Disneyland. Disney. Yeah. Oh, sorry, when you said it, I just had a vision of all of them in a hall talking at the same time <laughs> <Yeah>. on their <laughs> own, it's like and it's just the party. most frightening, <laughs> weird, <laughs> unsettling. And they tag each other in like wrestlers. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
on fictitious islands, so mm. you were saying that there were various reasons that they, they got it wrong and they put islands in the wrong places. Mm. But they did also make them up, didn't they? They Like you say, they wanted stuff to happen. They didn't like empty space. And so I was reading about Benjamin Morell, yeah. who I assume you're a Maps fan. Benjamin Morell, I, th- I mean, I just find historical liars fascinating so what benjamin morale did is he um made up a whole bunch of um places and islands so he made up this island called new south greenland near antarctica <laughs> which didn't exist and we thought Sounds it existed yeah. for a hundred years until i think a shackleton expedition undiscovered it in uh 90 between 1914 and 1917 they yeah. went there and said oh that's not here but yeah. why did this guy do that uh well this is the, i mean voyages at that time um, and probably still are are a business operation you need to raise funds and sponsorship to do it and people are more <laughs> likely to give you money if it's exciting if you're often an adventure all he wanted to do was go and travel he just wanted to live at sea uh, and so when he came back and he had a particularly uneventful trip uh, he had to sex it up somehow so he invented uh, there's Byers Island there's Morell's Land was one of his that he claimed <laughs> a humble um, man <laughs> that's where the wheels started coming off yeah. where he was asked and what was the name of that that the locals had for yeah. it oh uh, that, uh, 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 Morell's <laughs> Land and so that, yeah that's how he secured funding and so he was known as the biggest liar in the Pacific <laughs> because of this uh, tendency to just invent geography. So we should say the reason that Ed knows so much about this is that you have written a book on this very subject, haven't you, Ed? Yeah, it's called The Phantom Atlas, um, and it comes out November 3rd, and it's basically an atlas of the world uh, as we believed it to be, rather than how it actually existed. Oh, there you go, Phantom Atlas, go and buy it. Not on the 2nd of November, but on the 3rd. Because on the 2nd, it won't exist. Yes, you'll be a bit disappointed. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are, oh, isn't there an island somewhere called Disappointment Island? Um, maybe it was one that Morel bigged up and then his son <laughs> went and visited yeah. this paradise. Yeah. It's made of ice cream and it's <laughs> 80 metres high. Turned out it's covered in dead fish. Um, Disappointment Islands. Mm-hmm. One of the first Westerners to land there uh, was John Byron, who was the grandfather of Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. Really famous Byron. The man who discovered the Patagonian giants. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Was John Byron? Oh. Yeah, he was captain of the dolphin. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And they called him Foulweather Jack because he had this amazing <laughs> knack of s- sailing always into enormous storms. I think we've mentioned yes, we've it before briefly. Before. Yeah, yeah. So the islands had already been called the unfortunate islands because they didn't have a decent water supply on them. And that was by um, Magellan. But they were called Disappointment Islands for a different reason. It wasn't because there wasn't any water. It was because uh, John Byron found that the people who lived there were of a hostile disposition and they didn't like him. That's a dick move to rename someone. That's like, <laughs> oh, you now live on Bastard Lane. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> aggressive, isn't it? No, we're just a disappointment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he yeah. didn't call them fierce or frightening, which I think they would have been more flattered by to call them a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. It's been yeah. a real mm. disappointment. Yeah, we were, we were really expecting good things from these islands. and um, I bet he was really nice <laughs> to their face as well. Lovely time, guys. Thank you for the, the Candy Floss Brilliant Islands. We'll definitely call it that <laughs> when we get back. <laughs> Okay, time now for fact number two, which is my fact. My fact this week is that the White House only got the ability to print on double-sided paper this year. And was that the staff weren't trained well enough to understand? <laughs> it's a very hard little click box to find, actually. Yeah, it's yeah, very yeah, hard. They've had the ability. They just have had the ability. No, this is the amazing thing is that they have not had the ability. It's incredible. So the White House has just had a huge technological overhaul, which has meant that they can now print double-sided. They can do color printing. They don't all have to use BlackBerry phones. 
Um, it's incredibly difficult to upgrade any technology in the White House, but partly because of security and partly because it's very complicated, but also there are four different offices which look after White House tech. So it's a complete nightmare. It's the National Security Council, Executive Office of the President, the Secret Services, and the White House Communications Agency. And between them, nothing has been achieved for the last <laughs> Even 20 with years. all of that expertise, they still can't get the office printer to work. No one's got any hope. No. Um, and they even, one thing they did, they had to remove uh, lots of spare wiring that was just left in the walls of the building from previous systems that were no longer in use. They removed 13,000 pounds of wiring. So the White House has just lost 13,000 pounds in weight. So they were, when they renovated the Situation Room in 2006-07, up, up until that point, they were using cathode ray tube TV screens and fax machines and phones from the 80s. Like, you're <laughs> absolutely right. It was a completely wow. dire situation. And apparently it was a really disruptive overhaul. They found bits of windows and uh, the remains of a sunken courtyard <laughs> that had been left there by previous <laughs> presidency that they didn't know was there. So I think Roosevelt built in the White House a warm swimming pool and he used it for therapeutic swimming for his polio. Um, so this was in the 1930s. There was a big opening in 1933. That was inside the White House. Uh, various other presidents used it. And then Nixon, fun lover that he was, decided to cover it up and build the press <laughs> classic, office room. Classic Nixon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he also installed the bowling alley, though. So, you know, he's, he's an old... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Nixon covered it up, and <laughs> typically, and he turned it into a press briefing room. But we only realized quite recently when they were excavating the White House or doing some building works that the swimming pool is actually completely intact underneath it. So underneath this floor, underneath where the main White House press secretary stands is the deep end of the swimming pool and then goes wow. up to the shallow end underneath there. That's it's a fun it metaphor for a new <laughs> press secretary. We're putting you in the deep end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Presumably it's been drained. I think it has been trained, yes. Although Hillary Clinton expressed a while ago, I think when Bill was president, she expressed a desire to have that swimming pool back. So you never know if she wins. She might stop all press briefings. Stop the press briefings. <laughs> get the pool back. Is That's going to be a campaign slogan. Is there any way we could have both and have inflatable floating chairs for the press people? That is a then, good idea. And then just do lengths up and down. The and then the aisle. press secretary can have a flamingo or something—an inflatable flamingo Massive to be on to show yeah. their position. <laughs> you know, the Secret Service had to hide the front doorbell on the north side of the White House from Calvin Coolidge, the president, uh, because he would he would prank them. And every time someone rang the doorbell that wasn't expected, obviously the Secret Service had to rush it. We're talking 1929. Um, and he just loved doing it and then hiding in a bush and watching them arrive and, and be completely confused. <laughs> um, and so when they finally figured out what he was doing, and this is, this is from an article in Time. I'm not, I'm not pulling this completely wow. out of here. Um, they, they hid the doorbell from him so he couldn't do it again. After that, he was leaving bags of flaming dog shit on the doorstep <laughs> <Yes>. of his <laughs> own <Yeah>. house. <laughs> um, Obama still has a Blackberry. Doesn't he? But he really wants an iPhone. Does he? Yeah, he was saying, oh, it's a great phone, but it doesn't take pictures, you can't text, the phone doesn't work, you can't play music on it. And he's really jealous of his wife and kids because they've got cool phones and they can Snapchat and stuff. And he was complaining. To be fair, it sounds like a terrible phone if it can't text, take pictures, (laughs) or do anything else. That's actually the reason that he's not um, completely tearing up the Constitution and standing for a third term. He would, but... (laughs) He wants that iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's odd that you're the president, you still can't get the model of phone that you want. 
Well, it's because it needs to be heavily modified, doesn't it, by the Secret Service, whatever <laughs> phone the president uses. I think this is why. And so an iPhone is a little bit more difficult for them to hack into, I think. Or they've yes. gone to so much trouble by the time they've modified his bloody BlackBerry that when he comes back next year and says, I want an upgrade, they say, sorry, mate. It's just the Secret <laughs> Service, they're always modifying things. So we've talked before about the um, the presidential cars and how they're modified. And I just get the idea of a BlackBerry, which has got three inches of armor plating yeah. on the <laughs> outside. <laughs> and there are seven like, decoys. Yeah, so yeah, whenever he goes, like, which one is my phone? <laughs> So, so another thing about early days of tech in the White House, the first ever telephone in the White House could only be used to call the Treasury. And if you wanted to ring the White House, the Treasury just had to pick up the phone and dial one. That's no, so that's cool. cool. Yeah. Was one. So um, printing. Yes, printing. Let's talk about that. Did you know, you know, Hark the Herald Angels sing? Yeah. The song. The song. Yeah. Um, do you know what relation that has to printing? No. That Mendelssohn wrote that tune to celebrate the 400th anniversary of the printing press. Wow. Uh, yeah, isn't that yeah. weird? It was for some celebrations in honor of Gutenberg. And I, yeah. didn't, I didn't get that from the lyrics. I'd say I always thought it was. Should have been called Hark the Herald Angels Print. print. Mm. <laughs> Glory to the newborn Canon HB LaserJet <laughs> 600. <laughs> um, that is very cool. Yeah, so just to clarify, aside from these guys' silly jokes, the <laughs> lyrics were not <laughs> the same at the time. Um, they were, in fact, lyrics suitable to the celebration of Gutenberg. Oh, well, oh really? So, so yes. it's just the music it. that we're talking about. It was, yeah, so he wrote the tune and then someone else wrote the lyrics about it was called the Gutenberg Cantata wow. and, uh, and then, then later like on it was repurposed well do you have, do you guys know the uh, you know the expression to a T when you're talking about s knowing something very precisely mm. yeah. you plan yeah. the bank robbery to a T do you know what the T stands for no, no. tittle and tittle oh. is the official name for the dot in a lowercase i that printers use oh really oh. It's J. so the original phrase was to a tittle so what's what's a jot then? Because I know the phrase jot and tittle. Yeah, that's from the Bible. Uh, they care what? not a jot. Yeah, to care not a jot or a tittle. Were, they, the were they people? They sound like characters from the Bible. Oh uh, uh, no, they weren't people. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of weird children's Bible <laughs> are you like reading? Yeah. Job and, and Bethuba and all these weird things. They could actually they could catch on as fancy names. Tittle, yeah. Tittle, come and do your piano practice. <laughs> Jot. <laughs> it's definitely Jot is a boy's name and Tittle is a girl's name, yep. I think. Although she's going to have a rough time at school. Did you know that on printing, publishing, the illustrator of the first ever nursery rhyme book was sued for selling porn? This was a guy called George Bickham Jr. It was in the 1740s. And the nursery rhyme book was three inches by 1.75 inches, which is so sweet. Um, <laughs> I know, isn't that cool? Because it was a book for children, so it was child size. But then he went on to um, sell loads of porn, which makes me really wonder what oh, was. I what thought the you meant he, he put some saucy images in the first children's book. Well, maybe he Ooh, did, God. but I don't think he did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, have you heard of the smallest ever inkjet printed picture? This was done not so long ago. It's 0.08 millimeters by one millimeter, and it's a picture of a few different tropical clownfish. Yeah, it's <laughs> the same as Nemo, basically. Oh. And it's unbelievable. It's done with a thing called quantum dots. The really weird thing is um, the, the dots look like a different color according to what size they are. So obviously they're all absolutely tiny, but the very, very smallest ones look blue, mm -hmm. and the slightly larger ones look green, and then the bigger ones look red. So you mm. can print different wow. colors using the same ink what? But just using this, I think it's something to do with the light, but I'm not completely sure. Yeah. It's, obviously it's obviously <laughs> something to do with that light. That's on the press release. <laughs> That's on the press release for dummies. <laughs> 
Time for fact number three now, and that is Alex. My fact this week is that World War II Morse code operators could recognise each other's accents over the line. They were speaking in Morse code at the time, presumably. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's not even just World War II um, operators, it's all operators. If you do Morse code a lot, if you're one of those kind of people, it's known as your fist. If you have a, a good fist or you have a poor fist, that means you've got a very kind of sloppy, uh, bad way of typing in Morse code. It means um, a completely yeah. different thing, actually, where I was brought up, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I grew up in a boxing community. <laughs> yeah. oh, right. Just to make that ultra clear. <laughs> God, you jumped in, yeah. <laughs> bit like i guess it's like enunciation um but for morse code if you have a good fist uh, you morse your, you morse very you code very um <laughs> exactly like i'm not doing now you code very um very clearly. very good, very good. <laughs> articulately is the word that i can never remember just to be now. clear is, the, is it the speed with which people are typing the letters it's, it's or is speed, it it's everything it's the rhythm which you type um it's also you would um morse differently depending on the type of instrument you were using so there, there are different mechanisms and different things so wow. you would get different rhythms or different intonations of uh, your dots and dashes could british morse code people recognize individual german yeah but um, it, it's not like hello sir. This it's is regional <laughs> accents. Yeah, it's, yeah. Right. It's not, no, it sounds it like it's be. exactly the equivalent. Yes, of that. I, well, yeah. Yeah. I know that there was the, uh, the people in Bletchley monitoring spy codes and speaking a lot with the same people from a long way away that they'd never met were able to recognise each other just from the Morse yeah, accents. I remember one story: uh, a lady talking who worked at Bletchley talking about it, and she felt that she knew the person who she was listening into so intimately that she yeah. referred to her as, I think, Maria. She gave her a name. And wow! Like, wow. Yeah. Even though you only hear. Dot, 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 dash, dash, dot, dot, dash, dot, dot. Wow. Classic Maria. (laughs) (laughs) There's this story about um, Thomas Edison. It's one of those probably apocryphal. After he went deaf, that he and his wife would communicate through Morse code. And so when they went to the theatre, she would have his hand on his knee and would tap out the lines no as way. he had performed, yeah. which it's that would be pretty rapid and quite irritating yeah. tapping, though, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Especially for whoever's in the row in front of them. Yeah. <laughs> Are we sure she wasn't just constantly trying to say, excuse me, dear, I need the toilet. Can you get up and let me pass? So on communicating in secret using Morse code, here is a cool thing. Uh, during the Second World War, there was a British uh, prisoner of war who was uh, imprisoned in Germany. Uh, he was called Major Alexis Kazdali. And um, he was a sewer, so he would sew to pass the time very intricate, beautiful patterns, and there are bits of cross-stitch. And there's one he did that's really nice. It says, you know, this piece of work was made by Major here at this castle on these dates. But around the edges, there are two borders, and they are little patterns of dots and dashes. And one of them says, God save the king in Morse code and the other one says excuse my French fuck Hitler (laughs) 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 and and it's amazing and this was so it was so nice and pretty that he was allowed to hang it on the wall at the prison camps he was in and none of the German guards ever spotted or deciphered that this was Morse code so risky because so many of them must have known Morse code it was wartime I thought everyone had to memorise it unbelievable in 2010 members of the Colombian army were being held hostage by the guerrilla army in Colombia the revolutionary army forces of Colombia and so the Colombian army wanted to get a message to them and they decided the best way to do it would be to commission a pop song which had Morse code hidden inside it (laughs) and then find a way of getting it on air broadcast on radio so that they could get a message to their captions so at various points in the chorus they sing the words listen to this message brother and then after that the beat uh, is built around a Morse code message that says nine people rescued your next don't lose hope 
and they got through. Isn't that Whoa. amazing? And then there's an interview with a guy who said, yeah, I recognized it pretty much immediately because I was expecting Morse code and it was pretty blatant when I heard her listen to this message. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's amazing. And I knew your accent, obviously, because of that extra long gap you leave yeah. between the, yeah. the E and the L. It better be a good song as well, otherwise you just turn the radio off. Don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, that was the problem. They had to make it good because they had to justify forcing radio, like, as in they had to try and get it on radio stations so that it could be broadcast wow. as a normal yeah. song on the radio. And so it couldn't be awful, otherwise people get suspicious. Yeah, and you'd, you'd have to be like, you know, Ken hates jazz. We can't do that. Yeah. He, he will switch over immediately. <laughs> Actually, not that useful a message, to be honest. If I were sitting there in prison and I just finally decoded, oh, how? Do, what's the key to how I get out? Yeah. We're on our way. Yeah. I yeah. think that's hope nice. you are well. <laughs> because it's, we're having, at the moment, we're having a great time recording a pop song. But we'll be there soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's Morse code on Mars. Anyone? Sir. Yep. Uh, the Curiosity rover leaves tire tracks and it has Morse code in those tire tracks that says JPL, but there's actually a practical use for it. You're able to look at a picture and they know how big the tire tracks are because they design the wheels. So then they can be like, oh, okay, that's that much distance. Oh. Very efficient dead reckoning. Yes, sort of that's exactly yeah. what it yeah. is, yeah. We should say what JPL stands for. It's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which yeah. is NASA's, they're the guys who built the rover, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, do you know what 21 means in Morse code? No. So you used to have all the letters, obviously, but it's so it's such a pain to type out every letter, as Alex says. So there are about 99 short codes, which mm -hmm. we're using the numbers from 1 to 99. 21 is stop for meal. <laughs> that's, that's, so that's why you're not getting a reply. 88 is love and kisses. Um, I really like 28, which is, do you get my writing? Which is such a... A lot of <laughs> themes that are emerging in the last message, and I really want you to draw them out. In, just remember this, which is so related to the original fact, but now we're slightly off topic, but there were people in World War II who claimed they could recognise a German accent in a pigeon. And these were experts, because there were a lot of pigeon spies that people thought were coming over here. Coming over here, <laughs> taking our information, going back to Germany. Exactly. Um, and so experts claimed that they could recognise a German-speaking carrier pigeon. No, I, this sounds to me like someone who knows his pigeons, and he can tell by looking at them, but he comes up with a really clever way of sounding like he's the expert. Like, no, just just say coo again. <laughs> yeah. you know, he just knows he's got brown dots. That's German. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it that the, the ones which are German spies have a tube on their leg which has a message in German? In it, in yeah. German. <laughs> and they've got a little monocle. <laughs> yeah. um, a way that Morse code has been used recently is in a chess tournament last year and it was used by an Italian chess player to cheat but it was quite impressive so it's one of the biggest I think it's the biggest chess tournament in Italy and this guy was ranked number 51,366 <laughs> in the world <laughs> and yeah. yet got to the penultimate round so apparently the tournament organizers were a bit suspicious up to that point anyway um, and he kept on he had his hand constantly under his armpit while he was playing and he was blinking <laughs> in a most unusual manner apparently <laughs> so he, kept, he kept asking for the same song to be played over and over <laughs> again so eventually people thought this is a bit dodgy so they asked him to take off his shirt and understandably actually he said he wouldn't <laughs> and so then they put him through a metal detector and they found that there was a video camera and a little pendant that he was wearing around his neck and then there was a box under his armpit with a mass of wires going all around his body and that was transmitting signals to him from a computer or a friend who but was the, telling him what moves to do. A friend who was only number 49,000 <laughs> in the world. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cheating, there's a, there's a sport called Vincan Sport, a sort of competitive bird tweeting, mm -hmm. where you have your bird in a box and they measure how many Siskoweets it produces. 
in what a, a certain amount a of time. A suskoid is just the, the name sure. of the note of a chip. And if it goes a suskawat, then it's a dud. But they found, I think fairly recently, <laughs> there was a co- it's, it's a competition. So you, so you have a bird and you have to make your bird pretty small. You have a bird in a box. You don't do anything to make it. You've just trained this bird to chirp. Okay. And there's <laughs> a huge <laughs> amount of cheating in, in the Vinkensport finch singing. Or cheeping. To the point where one year they opened up a box because they noticed that his bird cheeped uh, the exact same number each time and they found a, a CD player. <laughs> <inside>. <laughs> it hadn't struck the tournament organisers to have sort of transparent boxes. Well, their suspicion was aroused when he asked if he could plug in his finch. <laughs> 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 yeah. Does anyone have anything else before we move on? Can we end this section with a stop? This is that code. <laughs> yeah, you know, we can, Alex. Just stop. <laughs> Okay, time for our final fact this week, which is Anna. My fact this week is that braver snails have thicker shells. <laughs> this is so good. I love this. Braver fact. snails have thicker. Weird. It's like a fridge magnet saying. It yeah, is, isn't it? You've up ages. What does it mean? <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? It's which something you tell your children to stop them being bullied in the playground. I think. I can see yeah. you're trying to work I'm out. I'm figuring out the wording. So does that? M- so snails with thicker shells are braver. What a great question. We don't know. So it could be either way around. This is a study last year that was published in Biology Letters, which is the Royal Society Science Journal, uh, published last year, and it found that risk-taking freshwater snails (laughs) tend to have thicker, stronger, rounder shells. Um, But we don't actually know, so we can only hypothesize as to whether they've developed stronger shells because they're naturally very risk-taking, and so they need to mitigate that risk of predation by having a stronger shell, or whether they had a stronger shell and so they went out and took more risks. I have never noticed a snail <laughs> taking risks or being conspicuously brave. Oh. Like at, the, at burning buildings, it's never a snail coming out with the orphans over its shoulder. <laughs> That's true. How do you define bravery in a snail? Like what kinds of things? Yeah, it? climbing up, saving children. Um, yeah. yeah, so bolder snails are defined as snails who, uh, when you scared them and they retracted their neck back into their shell, they then stuck their neck back out again within 10 seconds. And the cowardly snails were those who exceeded the 10 second limit for sticking their neck back out again. And also, I think the boulder snails had a wider aperture, so they had a bigger front door, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) That's snails. Snails are amazing. We've never really talked about them before. Snails are unbelievable. Satsuma snails? Go on. Um, So, generally, in snails, you can get left-handed snails and right-handed snails in the sense that some snails have a left-spiralling shell and some snails have a Mm right-spiralling shell. The first interesting thing is that in most places around the world, the ratio of left-spiralled to right-spiralled snails is roughly the same as the ratio of left-handed people to right-handed people. The reason that there aren't very many left-handed snails in most parts of the world is because it's very difficult for left-spiralled and right-spiralled snails to have sex. In Japan, there's a snail called the Satsuma snail, um, and there are a lot more left-spiralling snails than right-spiralling snails there because they have a predator, which is a snake that likes to eat them, and it has real difficulty latching on and biting down on snails with left-spiralled shells or something. So they flourish. That is such a good example of natural selection. I know. So you hear the story... Uh, in New Zealand, they have giant snails that can grow the size of hamburgers. Called the <laughs> oh. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, the Poelophanta. Um, and in 2011, their habitat was on a, a particular, I think, plateau that was due to be mined. And so wow. the government, in a mass operation, moved these, I think, something like 6,000 <laughs> of these giant snails <laughs> into uh, these high-tech cool rooms, temperature controlled. And you, do, you know what's coming next, Oh, right? no, they oh died. No. There was a glitch 
and the temperature plummeted to zero, but no one noticed for ages because they didn't constantly check on the snails. Um, and half of the snails that hadn't been uh, rehomed, so I think something like 800 of 1,600, these very rare snails, uh, died. They were all killed. Oh, that is a cock up. Yeah. Wow. Have you heard of the giant African land snail? No. This is an amazing snail. It's massive, and they're really popular for eating. Um, and people keep on smuggling them around the world. It's about 15 centimetres long normally, mm-hmm. which is pretty long, but it gets really big. In 2005, there was a passenger coming through Heathrow who said she had something small to declare, and she walked <laughs> through the red lane. <laughs> they looked in her luggage. She had 104 kilos, 16 stone of snails in oh. her luggage. And 16 alive. stone? Yeah, alive and with eggs all over oh, the place. And, well, they're really popular to be eaten. One farmer in Austria sells snail caviar and snail livers. And snail livers are also in spiral shapes. Are they? They're amazing. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah. You know, speaking of smuggling snails, you know Patricia Highsmith, the novelist who wrote The Talented Mr. Ripley, yeah. all of those mm. books. Um, she wrote Strangers on a Train, which was adapted into a Hitchcock film. Um, she hated people and loved snails, had a snail <laughs> obsession. So she used to smuggle snails with her and she kept about 300 snails as pets, took them with her wherever she went. When she went to a dinner party, she'd always have them in her handbag and all then she'd get bored. Many, many, <laughs> a good proportion. And then she'd whip them out and put them on the table. And Sorry, the, snail, the snails, right? Sorry. <laughs> no wonder people didn't like her. Oh, no, wait, she didn't like people. She hated people. Okay. She sometimes apparently <laughs> travelled around with a snail under each breast. <laughs> oh. Why would you invite that person to a dinner party? <laughs> there was a guy, I like this guy so much. He was a charity director called Lloyd Scott, and in 2011, he dressed up as a snail to do the London Marathon. Mm-hmm. It took him 26 days. He raised £20,000 doing so. One article wrote, he has crawled for 26 days across broken glass, nails, dog feces, enduring cramps, vomiting, and at least one trip to A&E. <laughs> he has said he was reluctant to repeat the experience. <laughs> right, so he gets to the end of the course. It took him 26 days. Oh he was no, and someone stepped on him and squashed <laughs> him. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a nine-foot-long snail costume dressed as Brian from the Magic Roundabout. He was then sacked by the charity he worked for because he hadn't raised enough money doing it. It's because oh. it had cost more money to do it than yeah. it cost money. He'd incurred a loss, basically, and not raised enough money. And as a result, oh, imagine just crawling sorry. slowly towards the P45 at the other <laughs> end. Of the it's so unkind. Why wouldn't they sack him during it? Why would they wait yeah. till he'd done the whole thing? <laughs> they do sound just sadistic people, you're right. It's true. Just cheering him on all the way as yeah. well. <laughs> Snails' anuses are. <laughs> <This topic laughs> Got to talk again. about snails' yeah. anuses. If we're on snails, yeah. snails' anuses are just above their heads, and <laughs> but they're not there for their whole life. No, so they start out at the back of them, and then they undergo the coiling process like the rest of the body. So I think the snail must be thrilled as it begins as an embryo that its bum is all the way at the back of it. it; doesn't have to have anything to do with it, and it gradually grows up and around until it's perched right above its eye. But it's a really snails. weird thing that only happens to a specific type of invertebrates, and it's basically your whole body just turns around. I'm unbelievably glad it only happens to a certain type of invertebrate, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. the ramifications for the cosmetics industry here would be huge yep. in terms <laughs> of having <laughs> bum replacements so that you look looked young and beautiful again because your bum was where your bum is <laughs> instead of on the back of your neck. That's a good point. Although you save on underpants, you just use a hat, right? Great right, oh. point. Yeah, yeah, pants and hats double up as one. That's a small advantage to many disadvantages. <laughs> I think. As true as you get older, you really want your ass to be as far away from yeah. you as possible. Yeah. <laughs> I was on petsnails.co.uk. Mm. Um, often confused with pet snails. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have a list of problems that your snail can have. And the list of problems includes excessive mucus, 
<laughs> swollen tentacles and sudden multiple death. <laughs> there's, a, there's a page for what happens if I've stepped on a snail. What do I do? How can I resuscitate it? What do you do? Well, the author then said, if you found a snail that looks really mangled, or the internal organs <laughs> are sticking out of gaping cracks in the shell, etc. Please I call 111 because <laughs> 999 is overstressed. <laughs> I euthanize them by stamping on them. It sounds horrible, but it's far better than taking hours to dry out and die from desiccation. Right, good advice. Probably worth clarifying because I always thought this was true, and it's not true that snails are built into their shells. They don't just live in their shells like a hermit yes. crab. It doesn't turn into a slug if you take out. A <laughs> <No>. <laughs> How many snails did you remove? We haven't gone anywhere near them. Have you heard of semi slugs? <laughs> Is that just a slightly flaccid slug? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, as opposed to the what the permanently erect slugs <laughs> you normally <laughs> get. Um, oh, they're always like that around me. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> You and Patricia Highsmith, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, semi-slugs, are, they're, they're slugs which have got a shell on their back, but it's not quite big enough for them to fit their whole body into. But it's not quite completely vestigial yet, so they can kind of cram a bit of themselves into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely still a size eight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Boris, your house is looking pretty small these days. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this podcast and you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so. Uh, I'm on at Andrew Hunter M. Alex? At Alex Bell underscore. Ed? At Fox Tosser. Yeah. <laughs> which is a reference to Ed's previous book, which is very good, either by that or the Phantom Atlas. <laughs> and uh, Anna? You can email podcast at qi.com. There's also our group Twitter account, which is at QI Podcast. And if you want to listen to all our previous episodes of No Such Thing as a Fish, you can go to our website, which is qi.com forward slash podcast. Also, the first 52 episodes of Fish are now available to buy on iTunes, and they are not available on the website. So if you want to listen to them, you got to shell out like a snail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See what you did there. See what I did. We'll be back again next week with another podcast. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>